Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Okay, everybody ready? Aye, aye, Capitan. Welcome. <laughs> okay, he's not the captain, I'm the captain. Everybody <laughs> knows that I'm the fucking captain. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm, I'm the, the captain, captain now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Oh, we have so many stingers. <laughs> Oops, all stingers. <laughs> Hello, welcome to this episode where it's all stingers all the time with absolutely no content. Stingers, stingers, stingers. Be there <laughs> this Sunday. All stingers all the time. It'll get you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. We need that, apparently. I think this is some good energy just... we're bringing into this one. <laughs> I just want to point out that uh, your microphone is sitting on a sushi something container. It's Sushi Go Party. It's a game. It's a good oh my... game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sushi Go. Easy to pick up, easy to teach people. Very fun. Welcome, everybody, to our next episode of Video Game the Movie the Podcast. On this episode, we discuss Wing Commander from 1999. As of 6am this morning, we are formally at war with the Kilrathi. In the final battle for Earth, a team of untested pilots. Lieutenant J.G., Christopher Blair. Todd, Maniac Marshal. Lieutenant Commander Devereux. Is our last hope. Did you just do that to impress me? For survival. Prepare for the jump. Wish me luck. Gear up. Battle stations, battle stations. Lock on. Yeah! And strike back. That's not bad. From 20th Century Fox. Get out, get out! I really don't like this guy at all, man. Freddy Prince Jr., Saffron Burroughs, Matthew Lillard, Jackie Cario. I got two more bogeys coming in hot, six o'clock. This year. All right, ladies, let's do it. At the edge of the universe, all hell will break loose. Wing Commander. I love this baby! Yeah, 1999, end of the millennium, Y2K, video games. Great, excellent. All right, so Wing Commander, I think, has a special place on this podcast as probably being the least video game movie we have yet to cover, us including the ones that are actually not based on video games. Uh, Lexi has, re- has rewatched this movie the most recently, so you are in charge of the recap. Yay! Quick okay. plot synopsis. Uh, so this movie basically starts off with a solid introduction into the world where we have like a a speech from JFK about going to space and then it kind of goes up past um, that point into the future where humans have kind of spread out into the world as or into the universe galaxy as the Terran Confederacy Um, and among it's implied that they've met other aliens but the main one thing is they have met the Kilrathi and all diplomatic relations have failed and now they're at war. So the movie actually just basically follows a few pilots who become part of a carrier called the Tiger Claw and its efforts to thwart the plans of the Kilrathi. The Kilrathi have, at the very beginning of the movie, captured a NAVCOM AI, which allows the bearer to calculate trajectory or calculate jumps through gravity wells, which gives them the capability to reach Earth, which is very, very bad for everyone involved. Well, not the Kilrathi. 
uh, well, not the Killerathi. They'll they'll be they'll be fine. They'll be great. They'll, like this is the end of the war for them. And the main fleet that could defend them is like 42 hours away, and the Killerathi are 40 hours away. So the Tiger Claw is like the only ship that can get there in time. Their goal is to find out what they're doing and where they're gonna jump and try to help out however they can. It's kind of just a standard I don't know actiony movie. It's got a couple uh, gratuitous romance plots. Uh, they're just kind of there. Um, yeah, the and... the main character we should probably talk about at least glancingly at the start here. Uh, the the people. The person whom we're following through this, like, larger story is Blair, who is... Christopher Blair. Christopher Blair. He's a lieutenant in the Confederation Navy, recently assigned to the Tiger's Claw, which is the carrier that is sent to engage the Kilrathi that have stolen the Navcom. Yes, he is your everyman type with a twist that he is half... Pilgrim. Pilgrim. I was going to say precursor. <laughs> That's a very different series. He, it's a, you know, fancy... Human space. Uh, specifically, the pilgrims are probably one of the most interesting elements of the world building in this movie. Absolutely. In this universe, humanity went out, colonized the stars, presumably made friends with some other alien species that we don't see here. And the people who originally did this evolved through the like roughness of space travel, essentially, into the pilgrims who are a race of human beings who have a psychic, essentially, ability to navigate the stars and are somewhat precognizant. They're more capable in space. Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, the, their capabilities are kind of specifically mentioned in the movie as being like, they can sense magnetic fields and like kind of intuit space time. Yeah. Um, they can kind of intuit how to get from one place to another. They've got more natural mm -hmm. sense for it. But what this means for his character is that one, it's implied that he has psychic space flying abilities. So he's basically a Jedi. And two, people are mildly racist to him or really racist to him just like constantly throughout this movie. Uh, but it doesn't come up until like 10, 15 minutes into the movie and then people are being really racist out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so he's our main main character. Secondary leads probably um, the female head of the unit at Tiger Claw, whose name escapes me right now. Uh, Devereaux. Yes. So the captain is Devereaux. She's a tough... Well, commander. commander. She's commanding Sorry. officer. I'm yeah. not good at military ranks. You, as people who have played more military video games and one air cadet will have to, like, correct me on my constant <laughs> screw-up because I just don't care about military hierarchy. So yeah, Commander Devereaux, tough, no-nonsense, head of the unit. We also have um, Chris... Maniac. Uh, Blair's, uh, yeah, best friend, Maniac who is played by the guy who played Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movie later. What? Yeah, no. No wonder he looks exactly. familiar. Yeah. That's so, so cursed. Christopher Blair is played by Freddie Prinze Jr. Yes, which we should bring up. Fred He's Fred. In the Scooby-Doo movie. And Matthew Lillard plays his friend Maniac Marshall, who is Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movie. So they oh, have great so best cursed. friend energy. They actually. have really good chemistry, <laughs> even in 1999. Yeah. So, yeah, Freddie Prince Jr.'s in this movie. I feel like we should have brought that up earlier. Freddie Prince Jr.'s the lead character, but he just kind of is Freddie Prince Jr., so you don't kind of notice it, because he's such a... He's kind of a nothing guy. No offense, <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. fans, but he is, like, the baseline for, like, attractive male star in the 90s. He's just, like, a guy. <laughs> uh, anyways, we also have uh, the person who was in charge of Maniac and Blair's ship that they got recruited from, who is 
Uh, he his... comes off like a kind of bumish old retired guy initially, but mm-hmm. there's more and more revealed about him as he continues. He's kind of a Han Solo. He's yeah. a little bit Han Solo-y, but like older Han Solo. Like if it was between yeah. Last Jedi, or not Last Jedi, between The Force Awakens and A New Hope. But mm-hmm. like a big time period we don't actually get. Yeah, his name is Paladin, and he is a captain of his own ship that is a merchant marine vessel, so it gets recruited into the conflict when they need it. Yes, he is a mentor figure, you know. We should specify that his name isn't actually Paladin. That's his military call sign. Right. Because uh, he's he's like part of the secret like intelligence forces. Um, His name is Taggart. Taggart. He's, right, right. He's right. got a normal guy's name. I, I knew a guy named Taggart in elementary school. His birthday was Christmas. It was too bad for him. Uh, shout out to Taggart. <laughs> 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 I think that what is happening? He's not gonna listen to this. Also, we should cut his last name because I don't actually even know if that's his last name. Uh, anyways, we're getting back on track. Those are the three like most important characters, or four most important characters, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we also have a handful of other pilots from the Tiger's Claw that get some time in the spotlight, especially Rosie Forbes, who is yes. mm-hmm. uh, romantically entangled with. Maniac once him and uh, Blair get to the ship. See, Rosie is actually a character I quite like in this movie. She's uh, an African-American female pilot, which is already kind of cool. But she's got this exact same, like, wild, stupid energy as Maniac. Mm-hmm. They they make a good pairing because they're both idiots and, like, really good at their job, <laughs> but, like, stupid. They're very arrogant. Like, yeah, yeah. It, they're not. They're not stupid. They're overconfident in their abilities and like to show off for each other, which uh, actually gets Rosie killed in the end. Yeah, um, it's mm-hmm. I, this movie does some interesting stuff with I don't know gender and sexuality. I guess that I wasn't expecting. Where it's actually like the tiger's claw is pretty gender equal balance, and there's a variety of different racial makeups, and it's like surprisingly diverse, mm-hmm. which is weird. For the 90s. For the 90s, yeah. Like, we're, we're gonna bring it back here. But the fact that there's a female black character that has many lines and conversations with other women about stuff that isn't the dude she's fucking is really impressive for a movie in the 90s like this. Especially a video game movie. We have established that these are not, like, hubs of progressiveness, generally speaking. Unfortunately, it does run into the problem that the only woman of color in the movie with actual lines ends up being the one that gets killed. And the other major female character, she doesn't really get 100% damseled, but she does kind of just conveniently fall off the movie during the climax. She sacrifices herself. She does a a self-sacrifice, but still, like... But she doesn't die. She's she's fine. She she saves everyone and then gets stranded for a while and has, like, pretty severe, um, like oxygen uh lack of oxygen but she ends up fine space hypothermia and they kiss at the very end of the movie for absolutely no reason yeah they don't have <laughs> see opposite problem with maniac and rosie they have fantastic chemistry and so do maniac and blair D- D- blair and Devro have good friend chemistry like you buy them growing to like each other i don't buy them as a couple at all 
Yeah. Uh, like mm-hmm. the movie tries to have tension for that. Like it they set it up like, oh, we're doing we're leading up to a romantic climax, but it's not good. <laughs> and I think one of the things y'all might have noticed as the audience is that we haven't been talking about this as a video game movie really. And that's because it's the least video game movie thing we've watched. It is solidly in the camp of like nineties sci-fi. It feels like Star Trek, it feels like Battlestar, it feels like any number of these like humans are in like space colony kind of shows or movies like it's a little bit star warsy but it's not it doesn't feel like anything we've covered so far what this feels the most like to me is it feels like old uh cold war set period um military films involving like mm. submarines and mm. naval ships fighting on uh in like the atlantic theater and stuff like that alternatively world war ii movies with dog fights because mm-hmm. this is essentially a dog fight movie it, because it's essentially yeah. a dog fight game <laughs> it is a war movie with a sci-fi sheen like painted over it which does lead to some kind of cheesy stuff like the fact that their spaceship uses torpedoes and is shaped (laughs) exactly like a submarine yeah (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. they're like smaller dogfighting spaceships are just World War II era like bomber planes. They actually repurposed the fuselage from actual planes to build the props for the movie. It which looks kind of neat. It's kind of cute. You yeah. have to get. Yeah. I think part of the problem with the aesthetic is that they introduce it a little bit late. Mm hmm. Uh, if they done more work to make sure you noticed what the aesthetic was earlier in the film. I feel like you wouldn't be as thrown off by it when it starts becoming really obvious later in the movie, but this is a real minor complaint. So what is Wing Commander as a game and it's like franchise? So Wing Commander, the game franchise, is a, a dogfighting space combat simulator set in the 27th century when humanity has colonized the stars. The first three games, I think, uh, comprise a trilogy about the war with the Kilrathi, and then the following games are more standalone about different parts of the like, history of the Wing Commander universe. The main franchise was actually finished before the movie was made. It came out in, uh, the last game came out in 97, and then since then there have been a couple other spin-offs in like the mid-late 2000s, uh, but nothing in the main like story-based franchise. Which is a bit odd, admittedly. Normally these things are made at the peak of something's success, mm-hmm. or at least attempting to be at the peak of something's success. Like yeah. Mortal Kombat didn't didn't wait until I guess there is no end to Mortal Kombat. But they, they go quickly on these things. It's weird that they got five Wing Commander games out and then they were like, two years after the last one comes out, we'll put out a movie based on this franchise, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean the the original first draft script was actually commissioned in ninety five before the last couple games were out. Oh, interesting. But that's still partway through. Uh, but that's then there, were, there was rewriting done in between then and 99 when they actually released it. I wonder if the main, the original screenplay wasn't more based on the game stories, because there is a lot of, there are a lot of elements, and a lot of the elements we like in this movie that are not based in the games at all. I mean, I, yeah. I found the first draft script of this and read it to prepare for this episode, and interestingly, a lot of the big 
moments are like beat for beat exactly the same. It's the kind of nuts and bolts of the overall plot that is different. In the original version, uh, the nav computer doesn't exist, and the pilgrims having this uh, new like navigational sense is also not an element of it. The pilgrims are there, but the way that they use them is that it turns out the tiger's claw was the, the, the AI that runs the tiger's claw ship was made by pilgrims and the ship was taken and repurposed after the war as a military vessel for the confederation but there is like a deeply buried uh, loyalty program in the ai that means that no matter what it is still working for the pilgrims even though the war is already over so the ai on the tiger's claw is feeding information to the kilrathi leading to the confederation command believing there's a traitor on board the Tiger's Claw. So this there's is a this lot whole, more complicated. There's this yeah. whole underlying back and forth between Paladin and the command where this the executive officer thinks that Paladin is a spy and Paladin thinks that the XO is like trying to throw him under the bus. And there's this whole back and forth with them. And then it turns out that they like discover that the AI has been the traitor the whole time and they have to like decommission it. But then they have to figure out how to survive because the ship's been damaged in the attack by the Kilrathi. But most of like the actual action beats and the character beats are essentially unchanged from the original draft to the end. They just tweaked the setup and the structure a little bit. Wow. In the original draft, they go into a little bit more detail about how jumping through deep space works, which they do still explain in the finished film, but it's uh, not as detailed. Basically, it involves them traveling to the, like, uh, exterior gravitational field created by black holes creates these, like, spikes, these distortions in space-time that if they can navigate the exact, like, point to travel through, it brings them instantly to the, like, other side of the distortion without having to travel the intervening space which means they can cross large swaths of deep space without having to actively travel over those, and then they don't have to like go into like suspended animation and things like that. Which is a pretty cool mechanic. Mm-hmm. And it's how humanity has managed to travel, like to expand so far into space. Yes. So the pilgrims are more naturally attuned to this system, and at some point in time in the past, they got kind of full of themselves, and or it's not entirely clear whether they actually did think they were significantly better than other people or if that's what humanity has told itself because they wiped them all out. There was a war, humans wiped out the pilgrims with the exceptions of it seems like a few mixed race children who are lingering around the society. One of which is Blair and another of which it turns out is Paladin. I think it's implied that Paladin is actually a full-blood pilgrim. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also this war happened probably within the last 20 years. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. at some point in time the war starts and it seems like the war has only recently ended seeing as Blair's mother was a pilgrim and her father was seen as suspicious for marrying her and having kids with her. It, anyways, it's not completely clear what the timeline is and how many people there are left and how many, what the situation is with the pilgrims exactly. But the gist of it is uh, people don't trust the pilgrims and they think that they have a loyalty only to pilgrims and could never actually 
be loyal to the Terran Confederacy, which is a not uncommon actual prejudice in our world against people with, like, religious ethnicities. So it's a common anti-Semitic trope. It's common anti-Catholic thing. It's a common Islamophobic thing to be like, well, you're always going to be more loyal to your religion than to this group of people. And the pilgrims are seen that way, largely. Mm -hmm. The original draft goes into a little bit more detail about that, too. In that version, Blair's parents aren't dead. They're still around. His father is a veteran of the Pilgrim Wars who, like, retired and became a historian after he met and married Blair's mother, who was a pilgrim. And that is why he experiences so much prejudice from the Confederation Command, is because he is from a half-pilgrim family. Yes. As is, it seems as though his mother and father died quite a while ago? Yeah. It doesn't seem like he even knows his mom that well. He said that they died before he was five. Yeah, Yeah. they were very, very... He was very young, and I don't exactly know how he was raised, but... (laughs) He... They never go into that. They don't go into it, but he's an orphan. And one of the reasons... It's interesting, because he is half respected because of his father, and half distrusted because of his father. Mm -hmm. His father marrying a pilgrim is seen as a traitorous move, but he was also apparently just really good at his job. Yeah, he is, like, respected by the military for the stuff that he did during the Pilgrim Wars, but then also, like, simultaneously kind of hated for marrying a pilgrim. Yeah, complicated stuff here. And yes, as we said, uh, Paladin turns out to be a pilgrim at the end, which is pretty heavily foreshadowed when earlier in the movie, he has this long talk with Blair about how the pilgrims used to be, like, worshipped, and how they knew all of these very specific things, and he recognizes their iconography, and it's just, like, not subtle at all that he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that he also just feels the Kilrathi yeah, ship. He- and just says things that no one else could know because he just is looking, he's just like kind of looking out into space, not into space as like into space, but in kind of in his head, he's kind of looking yeah. around like, oh, hmm. He's he's also got psychic ship powers. It turns out he's a very high-ranking espionage agent and like there's this continuing yeah. back and forth earlier in the movie between him and one of the other head people on the ship who doesn't like him. It's not central to the plot, but it's a thing that's continuing the whole time. Mm-hmm. So the main thrust of that plot is the Kilroth is to steal the computer. Blair's ship gets commandeered into joining the Tiger Claw unit. Uh, Blair and Maniac train for a while under Devro. Maniac and Rosie Buck. Um, <laughs> Blair and Devro have a budding friendship that's marred by distrust. Uh, they have a couple fights with the Kilarathi until... I actually can't remember exactly how all this climaxes. Well, they, on reconnaissance, uh, Blair and Devro encounter a Kilarathi ship that leads them to a like destroyer and they get caught in an ambush when uh paladin and a couple other pilots go off to like see where the ships were coming from and then they return in time 
to help defend the Tigers Claw, but it gets like heavily damaged in the attack. So they send uh, Blair and Devereaux with a message to the Confederation fleet telling them where the Kilrathi are to like jump back and deliver that to the fleet so they can come and like take out this Kilrathi battle group. But then the Kilrathi are trying to use this to like follow Blair through the jump point to get the jump on the Confederation and get to Earth before they can like step in and stop them. It's kind of complicated, but in the end, Blair gets through the jump point, gets the message to the Confederation, but they don't come and help him immediately because they're in the perfect spot to ambush the Kilrathi when they come through the jump point. And then the destroyer that is following Blair, he baits it into going into a... It's like a... Just a black hole, It's basically. like a black hole, I think. Something like... It, I think it's a quasar. Yeah, something like that. Something he, with heavy density. He baits it into a gravity well, and it gets destroyed, so he doesn't end up dying, even though the Confederation was willing to sacrifice him to keep their advantageous position. And then they win, they destroy the Kilrathi battle fleet, and... I mean, it's also so that he saves the Earth the from that destroyer. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not just, I want to save my own assets. They can't move position because there's more ships coming. Yes. But... Yes. Yeah. So, they save the day, Devereaux lives, they kiss the end. The Kilrathi are weirdly cat aliens. I was very disappointed in the Kilrathi yeah. in this So yeah, movie. explain why. <laughs> Okay, so the Kilrathi are, I mean, they clearly didn't spend their money on the alien puppets. No, we should say, movie. the effects in this movie largely are quite good, especially for 1999. There was at least one moment where we thought something was bullet time, which didn't make sense because bullet time was invented by the Matrix that same year. Yeah, I think it was mostly, like, uh, the technique existed before the Matrix. The Matrix was the first one to do it in, like, the full 360. Yeah. Um, it just, basically, it involves using still cameras arranged in a circle to create like a, a like still frame effect in like 3D moving around a subject. Yes. There was that. There was some pretty impressive CG modeling. The space fights look pretty good. I mean, we're talking 1999 CG, but it's on the higher end of that. It was like watching Battlestar Galactica or something. Yeah, it looks it's, like it's like above average for a TV show from the like early 90s. It's fine. It looks fine. Yeah. Yeah. But the aliens look <sighs> Okay, so they got me excited right at the beginning of the movie because we get this brief flash of a Kilrathi eye, which is looks like this like green glowing reptilian eye. Um, but we basically just see that. And then way, way, way towards the end of the movie, we get our first full glimpse of a Kilrathi. No, okay, a couple times there are small shots from like security cameras and stuff. They are being purposefully hidden from the audience and only just teased, which you usually only do if you're sure your design is good. Yeah. But but way at the end of the movie, we see them full face, like it's just we're looking at them in their command bridge. And honestly, they look like a cross between cats and the potato alien Santarans from Doctor Who. Yeah, they are fleshy cat people, essentially. That's all they are. With goatees. Yeah. With goatees. They have, they have really stupid looking goatees. 
And it, the shot yeah. where they're like revealed isn't like a reveal shot. It's just like it's a, a shot reverse shot, and the reverse shot is the Kilrathi out of nowhere. Like you think that they've been building them up so that you'll like be surprised when you see them, but no, they just didn't want you to see them as much as possible. <laughs> when they were making the puppets for the Kilrathi for this movie, apparently they had like designed them before they realized, before they had figured out what the size of the set was going to be. Oh no. So the puppets they built were like too big for the set and that's why they're all like awkwardly oh. hunched over. <laughs> Which oh, looks that's really, really funny. stupid in the movie. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. The puppets don't, they aren't poor quality. No. They, they seem to be well designed. They seem to yeah. be like functional. The they're design's fine. just not great. Yeah. And that was apparently Chris Roberts who he was the director of the movie and he made the games, the designer of the original games. He he was like reiterating a bunch on these and was never really satisfied. <laughs> Even the design that made it into the movie, he wasn't really that happy with, which is probably why they are so cagey <laughs> about how they look. It's there's, unfortunate. <laughs> there's kind of a cool detail in the uh, first draft that the atmosphere the Kilrathi breathe is thick, opaque gas. And so like their ships and helmets are always full of this thick fog. So you never really see them mm. directly and you usually see them like in silhouette. Which is kind of a neat visual idea, but they obviously didn't end up going with that in the final version. Well, they didn't end up going with it because there's a sequence where they board a ship and you just wouldn't be able to see anything. Fair. Yeah. It is a neat concept. Also, they would be blind. The species that oh, lived they, they in... see an infrared in the original. Okay, that would make sense. Then. Yeah. Oh, that's good design. Yeah, that's good thought processes. I think the guy, who did you say the director is? Uh, Chris Roberts. I think Chris Roberts is a genuinely creative person, and he seems to have done something pretty impressive with this film, in my opinion. And the games, I, I just don't think this is like a masterpiece or anything. Yeah, I mean, the games are really well-loved, and they did a lot of pioneering work in bringing storytelling into video games. A lot more cutscenes than Yeah, games. They, they, like it was on the forefront of like building cutscenes into gameplay to to tell a story and even did some pioneering in full motion video. The later games include fully live action shot cutscenes with actual big name actors like Mark Hamill and John Hurt and Malcolm McDowell. They did cutscenes for the Wing Commander games. Yeah, it's so and like people wow. really love the games, but the movie just did not match up to the that level of quality. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad movie, yeah. though. I think we're gonna say, this is actually, I think, one of the best movies we've watched on this show. Actually enjoyable to watch. Like, so you've watched it more than once at this point. Was it unpleasant? So, okay, this was an interesting, this is an interesting question, because I watched it the first time, and it was, it. I was, I noticed that it was a technically proficient movie. <laughs> The script is fine. The effects are solid. The soundtrack is solid. The acting is totally fine. The sets are good. Like, there's nothing wrong per se with this movie, but it's a little. It. it I don't. I didn't really care. Was my problem? Like, it was watching a. I felt like I was watching a mediocre episode of Star Trek. But interestingly, on my second watch through, I watched it at one point two five times speed. <laughs> 
And it actually felt better <laughs> because they talk slow. They talk kind of slowly. So when it's on 125%, they're actually talking like a more normal pace. It didn't feel like it was a faster movie. It felt like it was better pace. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember this movie as a bit slower time, so that makes sense. That's kind of hilarious. But yes, a, a mediocre Star Trek episode. This is... Mm-hmm. if. It's not a bad Star Trek episode. It's not no. one that the fandom remembers because it was like really weird and out of character or the concept was just dumb. And it's not like one of the beloved ones that everybody talks about. It's just an episode where if you're rewatching it, you're like, oh yeah, this one. It's that episode with the cat aliens. Yeah, you just kind of watch it and you're like, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I liked that one guy mm-hmm. who never comes back so I don't get too yeah. attached. This, yeah, this movie is one of the most proficiently made movies we've seen chronologically it does lack the kind of just raw entertainment value of some of the more gonzo movies like super mario brothers or street fighter yeah uh and to that end it is a little bit boring but it is competent competent is yeah it's a competent movie if you are a fan of like older like 80s 90s sci-fi like i don't know the last starfighter and that kind of stuff which we should talk about the last starfighter at some point in time uh because that one's video game adjacent be a bonus episode be a bonus episode but if you're a fan of star trek and Battlestar and, I don't know, things older, not older, but like... Maybe Babylon, Babylon 5, 5 just or like something. Just like 80s, 90s, early aughts science fiction stuff, or like Mass Effect, that kind of like boldly going kind of idea, and you just like want to watch something vaguely fun, this is a fine time. I bet especially with a couple of friends, some popcorn, it's a decent afternoon. Watch it slightly fast and it'll be great. It'll be... Yeah, just watch it 1.5. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if this movie was on cable when I was flipping through channels and I had nothing else to do, I wouldn't turn it off. Is that yeah. our rating for the episode? <laughs> I think this is going to be a short one because this is kind of a nothing movie, to be completely honest. Yes, yeah, there's not really The Pilgrims that, is yeah. the most interesting mm-hmm. thing. The, the surprising diversity and forward-thinkingness. There's not really much in the way of, like, subtext or depth to this movie. At most, it's about how when you fight wars, people die, and that kind of sucks. It does genuinely address (laughs) that war is bad and sucky, and it does address racism in a way that's kind of interesting. I think if I had a major criticism of it on that front, it's that you don't really see anything outside of the Confederation military. The the universe, aside from the Kyoraki, feels very empty and kind of small. Yeah, we never see any other alien species, and we Mm -hmm. also never see civilian humans. Interestingly, the first draft of this, the, like, asteroid that gets attacked by the Kyoraki at the Uh, beginning... The very beginning of the movie, by the way, is an entire, like, population of people at a base being murdered by the Rafi. We didn't mention that, but that's, like, the start of the movie. Yeah. That's where they get the computer from. It's not just a stealth operation. They kill everybody. In the original version (laughs) of that scene, it's not a military station that gets attacked. It's a civilian like asteroid world that is being escorted by a military ship oh. as it travels to a new colony so you get the opening that's dope yeah, yeah that would have been great, way more interesting there's a great opening scene in the original script where you just like it opens on a park inside a hollowed out asteroid and you just see people like spending the day in the park 
and there's big domes over the the craters in the asteroid surface that look out onto the stars, and then you just see like the Kilrathi fleet descend onto the asteroid, and it's really cool. And I'm kind of bummed they didn't that, go with something like that for the opening. Sounds expensive. You, it sounds expensive, <laughs> and that's yeah. probably why I, I, we haven't talked about the budget on this. But it was like a pretty modest, like thirty million dollar movie, which is probably why it which feels is like probably Star Trek why episode. it feels a little bit like <laughs> empty, but. It, it reminds me a little bit of The Last Dinosaur, weirdly, yeah. where you have this movie, The Last Dinosaur, not The Last Dinosaur, The Good Dinosaur, which is like Pixar's worst or second worst movie, depending on how you feel about cars. Uh, the Good Dinosaur has this problem where you're following one character and his pet human, and he's meeting all of these dinosaurs, but it still feels really weird and empty, like there should be a lot more people and society than there is. And it's not about that, it's just an element. It just feels empty. This movie has that same problem where you're like, I know that there's more going on here. This isn't about the desolation of space. It's not about, it's not No Man's Sky, the original version of No Man's Sky, where the point is you feel isolated. It's just, they couldn't afford more people. Mm -hmm. Like, they couldn't afford to develop society. Star Trek sometimes feels that way, too, when it doesn't remind you that Earth exists often enough. (laughs) Or when you, like, forget that the entire, like, round part of the ship is, like, filled with civilians. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a thousand people on that ship, and you see, like... Yeah, you see, like, 12 regularly. This happens when you don't have, like, a huge budget often. You can't set up the stakes of there being other people around. Like, the episodes of Star Trek that feel the most lived in are when they're, like, on a foreign planet, and there's, like, a society that they have to get introduced to or whatever. And this movie doesn't have that feature. Also, we know nothing about the Kilrathi as a species besides don't get along well with others. Yeah, they're a little bit Klingon in that they seem... Early Klingon. Yeah, like, very warmongering, not very humanized... Sorry to all y'all who have never watched Star Trek listening to this, because we're using this as the baseline. I guess Mass Effect would be another, like, comparison point. They'd be like, if the mean frog people never got along with anybody. Yeah. Okay, but Mass Effect is so much better than Mass Effect is, yeah. Well, yes. (laughs) But this does feel like Baby's first Mass Effect movie. Yeah, a little little (laughs) bit. But without all of the sex and multiple different races. Actually, no, it's still got the sex. Never mind. Yeah. There's, Blair is Barry Shepard. There's, there's a surprising amount of discussion of, like, sex and sexuality in this movie, especially with the female characters, which is kind of respectable. Yeah, they're, they're pretty horny, and they talk about being horny, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Rosie's a great character. Like, I'm sad that she gets killed in the movie because I think that she deserved better as a character. And I'm also sad while watching the movie because I liked her and I didn't want her to die. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's probably the best scene in the movie. And Maniac's reaction is very solid. He is her partner of some kind. They've been, like, I don't know. I don't know if they're dating or anything, but they've been sleeping with each other. They they met, like... Less than they're two together, days, yeah. Like they've known each other for like a day. But like, yeah, it's clear that they've got this budding relationship going, and they're really good partners to each other in a nice way. And you see that grow, and then he is horrifyingly devastated, and he blames himself, and he is like, he's a, he. It is his fault. It is mostly his fault. But it's like mm-hmm. genuinely heartbreaking watching him just like completely fall apart. <laughs> Or it would be if I cared about Yeah, well, <laughs> I think it works. I, I think I buy that he's that upset. Uh, yeah, I, I bought it. I believed it. I just didn't. 
<laughs> I don't know. Because the, the movie is what it is, I didn't. I wasn't invested enough, even though it was well done. Yeah, it's kind of just there. And I feel like that's... I don't know if we have that much more to say about this movie. Yeah, I mean, there isn't much to say. It's just kind of a mediocre sci-fi movie, which, I mean, that's overall better than a lot of the things we've talked about. And again, but, if you have a proclivity for those kind of things, yeah. it might be a better time for you. Than, I mean, I like my sci-fi, but I usually like my sci-fi a little bit weirder or mm-hmm. more thinky. Yeah, I will say that like mm-hmm. a lot of the minor changes made from the original version, I think, probably made this movie a little bit worse, if only because a lot of the changes seem to have been cutting out stuff that was too expensive to shoot. Yeah. In my reading about it, I came across this uh, quote from Freddie Prinze Jr. that he got really excited to do this movie when he was handed the original script, and then they got on set and they handed him a script that he said was like for a completely different movie, and he was super bummed out, and now he like can't even watch it because he hates it so much. Poor thing. Which is like really disappointing at for somebody like that. He like, doesn't feel like he's phoning it in, though, at least. Oh, he no. does seem to have given it at all. The cast is really trying, and in most cases, doing a really good job with what they have. Yeah, Taker, just overall, everything's just kind of... Taker's like, a good mysterious mentor empty. figure type. Maniac's a good wacky friend type. Blair is a good everyman hero type. Everybody's doing their best. We have not talked that much about Devereaux. Yeah, I mean, Devereaux is your stereotypical, like, kind of distant military person who pretends the people that die never existed so she doesn't have to engage with grief. Yeah, she's a bit Peggy Carter. She's a bit, I don't know, she's just kind of, the most interesting thing about her is that she's a female commander in space military, but that doesn't seem to be all that weird in this universe. So, I don't know, she's kind of there. She's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the people in this movie who aren't, like, old white dudes are pretty. (laughs) Or Kilrathi. I was so I was so excited <laughs> to think the Kilrathi were pretty. <laughs> I was expect I was expecting like lizard people. I was expecting these big lizard people with these beautiful eyes, and then I get these kind of lame looking cats. And that's Lexi yeah. Kaylee said coming out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I'm not the only one. No. <laughs> but yeah, Wing Commander. There's not. I'm I'm not surprised having watched it and talked about it, that I don't hear more about it. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know this was on the list until we got to it. I had never heard of it before. <laughs> Nobody yeah. talks about this. It is not an interesting, bad video game movie. It's not a surprisingly good video game movie. It just is. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, um, I would like to point out, though, that Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie like an 18%. Oh, yeah. I really don't That's think unfair. This movie time, is not an 18 At the time, people absolutely hated this movie. Which seems weird to me because it is perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, uh, what, what I think happened is that a lot of the design from the games and a lot of the major plot points and stuff were not in the movie or changed, and that pissed off the fans of the games. And then nobody else had enough connection to Wing Commander as a franchise like, the general population to, like, care about the movie. So it just kind of sank. It is shocking to me that this has a significantly worse rating than the other major science fiction movie that I know of from that year, The Phantom Menace. The Phantom yeah. Menace has a freaking... You're, I think you're a year off. No, that's 1999. Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. 
Um, okay, but The Matrix also came out that year. Okay. Well, it was a good year for sci-fi, apparently. <laughs> no, but May 19th, 1999, The Phantom Menace came out. And that is Star Wars. I guess it was up against Star Wars and The Matrix. It was up against bigger names and better movies separately. Star Wars is a bigger name. The Matrix is a better movie. <laughs> Do you want to know what came out the weekend it was released? Yes, if you can find it. Yes. Just let me get there. But uh, yeah, I don't think this is... I don't think 54% so, to 18 is a fair ratio between Wing Commander and The Phantom Menace. That doesn't seem right to me. This no. movie opened against Baby Geniuses. Oh! The, the Corruptor. What? The Deep End of the Ocean. The Rage Carry 2 and Wing Commander. What? That was the weekend this opened. The sequel to Carrie! The sequel, the biggest movies out the year, the, the, the weekend Wing Commander was released were the sequel to the Carrie movie and Baby Geniuses. <laughs> I remember Baby Geniuses. It's not good. I do too, and I remember enjoying it. Oh, yeah. But I was also pretty young, so it's probably pretty bad. Yeah, no, I saw parts of it later in life. It's. <laughs> ooh. Is it a is it a so bad it's good movie? I don't know. I think Baby Genius is too the one where they're all superheroes might be. But yeah. Oh, I might be mixing them up. More broadly, this movie was competing with Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, Toy Story Two, The Matrix, Tarzan, uh, the Universal, wow. the, the first Universal reboot of the Mummy. Uh, not so the good one with Brendan Fraser. The world is not enough. American Beauty and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. So wow. those are the top. The, those were the highest. Movies. Grossing like top 10 of 99. Yeah, but still, my point being, is this that much worse than The Phantom Menace? I don't know. The Star Wars prequels have this weird, difficult to quantify element about them where there's so many genuinely interesting ideas and themes that they're trying to get across. They're just not very good at it. Yeah, I, my feeling, and you probably agree, like, I, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, at least from a, like, the movies point of view, but I've listened and I've consumed con Star Wars content where other people take the ideas of the Star Wars universe and run with it, and Nathan, I know your campaign, yes. campaign Minoc from the One Shot yes. Network. That was that got me into Star Wars mm -hmm. because there was so much cool stuff, but I didn't care about the <laughs> movies. You should probably watch like Rebels or something, by the way, the TV show um, or the Clone Wars show. Clone Wars, Clone Wars. Gets into is really some of the good. world building stuff without having to like do the movies. Uh, we're getting on a Star Trek. Okay. Anyway. Star Wars tangent. The point being, <laughs> Wing Commander probably shouldn't have an eighteen percent. This is fine. I would. It seems fine. It's like a C minus. Yeah, it, like passes. It's fine. Yeah. So let's give our uh, ratings. Besides my apparent C minus, uh, Lexi, give me a rating. I give it center of the solar system. Just a your average single star. Cosmic latte, the color of the universe on average. Yes. This is kind of a light beigey brown color. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, my rating for this movie is beige. <laughs> I think my rating for this movie is a cat alien that doesn't actually look bad, but is worse than you expected it to look. <laughs> uh, I think my rating for this movie is a odd, like, way too fast 180 degree camera turn onto a guy with a meh cat. <laughs> meh. It's just a perfectly fine little ball cap. 
of a movie. <laughs> so this has been Video Game the Movie, the podcast on Wing Commander. Next time we are in for something way more exciting. Next time on Video Game the Movie, the podcast, Pokemon, the first movie. Oh shit. <laughs> Things are about to get a poco <laughs> maniac up in here. It sounds like I'm the one who's most excited about this. We'll get to why next time. So, let's all plug ourselves. That sounded bad. Oops. Keep Oops. it in. Oops, all stickers. Oops, all stickers. All right, guys. Where can, you, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex. You can find me at Kenzie Phoenix. If you liked the show, like, subscribe, share it with your friends, etc., etc. We have a Twitter. Which is VGTM Podcast. That is Video Game, the movie, the podcast. That is the name of our show. That is it for today. See ya all next time, video game. See you on the next level. Do, do, bow, do, bow, do, bow, do, bow. Do. <laughs> <laughs>